You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Genetic scientist Dr. Wilbur Frank just couldn't leave well enough alone. He had to tinker with the miracle of creation. He's gone and made a big, bad baby. Now the endless halls of the Shelley Institute resound with the labored, terrifying scream of the creature. As he drags his pathetic, deformed leg along and along. Constantly stalking his defenseless prey. Persistently seeking yet another victim. Unenduringly stumbling after people too stupid to run. Only Dr. Frank's brilliant, devoted, and very attractive assistants can stop the asthmatic fiend. Only the animal cunning and razor-sharp reflexes of Inspector McCoy can terminate the beast's existence. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is Mr. Josh Johnson. Great to be back in the Projection Booth. Glad to have you. Also with us this week is Ms. Angela Mack. Well, hello, everybody. Nice to be back. This week, we are looking at the 1991 movie Science Crazed. It's a low-budget feature of science being crazed, and there's a fiend on the loose, and it's slowly killing people, uh, all set to an intense kind of synth score. And, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what the hell I just watched, Josh. Uh, can you help me explain it? Cause you're kind of partially responsible for us even seeing this movie. Science crazed is a film that was shot in Toronto in 1989 and wasn't released for a few more years until 1991 on video. And now that you've seen it, I'm sure you can imagine why there was a struggle to get a release of any kind. And, Instead of talking about what it is, it's almost easier to talk about what it isn't. And it isn't a movie in the traditional sense that we're used to it. Uh, There's probably about 45 to 50 minutes of footage, but the film runs a traditional 90-minute running time. And the way it does that is that it recycles the same scenes and the same moments you've already seen into new uh, contexts or into new story points. Uh, I don't know for sure if that was the original intention or if that's a, a, some something of a failing of the script, but uh, it's definitely unlike anything you've seen before. I will concur with that fully. Let's talk about the plot. We've got Dr. Frank at the Shelley Institute. He's so cool. He wears his sunglasses uh, after dark, I guess. And uh, the head of the Institute is telling him that his project is not going to happen or something? I warned you about those experiments, Dr. Frank. And this time you've gone too far. The board wants your resignation. You know my experiments are extremely 
important to biological science, to the advancement of all humanity. I tell you, I'm on the verge of a breakthrough. The board is making a serious mistake. I'm afraid you're making the mistake, Dr. Frank. The board's decision is final. They want you out. Stupid fools. My work will change the course of science. Get out. <sighs> Fool. I was just so struck with just the way that this movie was made. I'm sorry to digress already, but just everything is post-dubbed and everybody seems to be speaking very slowly as if to make the post-dubbing a little bit easier for people when it came to that step of the way. Yeah, it kind of has this quality where it sounds like you're hearing the characters think their dialogue instead of speak it, where it's like the way you think of narration it almost comes across as a movie that's entirely narrated, but that narration is externalized in a weird way. It's true because all the voices seem to be almost caricatures like uh, Dr. Frank. I mean, we first see him and God, his voice was reminding me of someone. And then it hit me. It's Christopher Lambert. Like you totally expected <laughs> him to whip out a sword and just start beheading. people. <laughs> and I don't know if that was done on purpose because 89, I guess that would have been, or was it 91? I, I've, I have two different dates on that. There's a PI that sounds like he's right in the microphone doing a Clint Eastwood. Every choice in the entire movie is so interesting. And it's very quickly that we get the experiment, which is to create The Fiend. Apparently this movie was called The Fiend for a while. Yes, that's right. Dr. Frank is going to create this fiend by injecting this woman with this green serum and within three hours, she'll be pregnant. And within 19 hours, she'll have a baby. And I'm guessing that the baby grows really quickly. There's a montage, uh, well, kind of a montage. There's a long period of time where we see someone's chest heaving on screen, and then occasionally they cut away from it. And I'm guessing that that's to represent that the baby is growing into the full-formed fiend, who basically is a, a dude wearing normal clothes, but then he's got like a blood-stained t-shirt and gauze around his head, which also has a lot of blood on it, and then kind of like gremlin ears kind of sticking out the top. And we see his face at the very end, which is supposed to be the big reveal, I guess. But for the most part, he is uh, faceless as he then kind of, you know, he's not very happy about being born. I, I can take it. And he goes on a rampage, killing everyone around him, including these poor women who are dancing and doing, like, aerobics. They're working out, Mike. <laughs> for a long, long time. Yeah, I wish my workouts lasted that long. That's also where we get some interesting sound mixing, too, because it almost sounds like we can hear the crew talking while they're working out and we hear them 
speaking, but then every once in a while I hear other noises going on. I read that um, Ron Switzer had actually taken a tape recorder into an into a gym and just recorded the sounds he heard there. So, of course, it sounds like there's so many more people in this gym when there's only two characters on screen in this empty gym. I'm sorry, but I need to correct you. When you say Ron Switzer, you should really say auteur Ron Switzer. Have you ever met Ron Switzer, Josh? No, I, I've been trying to find him for several years now and have been unable to do so. Uh, I've tried to track down either him or his wife and have failed every step of the way. Uh, at this point, the only way to kind of move forward would be if I were to hire a private detective, which I would be interested in doing. I just can't afford it. But at some point, I would love to track him down. I've definitely tracked down other people that were involved with the film, but he's really the key person to get answers from, and he still is a mystery. There is nothing, like no one has actually been able to contact him. What a what a mystery. Well, I would say if you want to hire a private eye, I would just call up the local video store because apparently there's one that hangs out there by the name of McCoy. McCoy? Yeah, he's here. Just let me not get him on Hey, McCoy, it's for you. Please? Yeah. I want to report a murder. Name? Terry Jones. Where are you calling from, Terry? The Shelley Institute. Victim's name? Wilbur Frank. Okay, Terry. Stay right where you are. I'll be there in 10 minutes. Right. And he will help you out as long as he's between rentals or something. But yes, this, his HQ seems to be at the local mom and pop video store. So as long as that one is still open in Toronto, or I would you know, hazard to guess on the outskirts of Toronto, then you'll be okay. I'll call tomorrow, Mike. I think you're on the right track. Call on Tuesday, because it's a two-for-Tuesday, I think. You get two rentals for a dollar. Oh, no, no. This happened over the course of a weekend, because the expository dialogue said that it was a small town, an isolated community, and it was on the weekend. So he's hanging out there Saturday morning, probably, waiting to get the movies for that night. Well, you got to be there for the good ones, right, when they come back in. But they get dropped into that slot and everything, and you're like hanging out, just waiting for the video clerk to check. Can you check and make sure? Because I, I really think that Evil Dead 2 is in there. Can you see if it's in there? Because it's not out on the shelf. Because you can tell that Ron Switzer or whoever's bedroom they shot some of this stuff in is a big horror fan because we get uh, Terry and his girlfriend here. Terry, I guess, who's friends with Dr. Frank. And we get this nice, long, I want to say, pan across uh, seeing all of these posters that are in his room before we land on these two characters. And then we get their dialogue, which just always, every time, it's just the way that this thing is shot is just amazing. Because I think we barely get any two shots. It's almost always one character speaks, and then we cut to the other one, and then they speak, and then we cut back. <laughs> It was actually shot that way for the most part. It, it wasn't, you know, a, a, an editorial choice. I think they basically shot somebody saying one line, cut, 
did a new camera setup, had somebody say a line and cut. So, I mean, what you're seeing in the film, I mean, there's, I, I don't think there's any unused footage. You know, they, they maybe did a couple takes occasionally, but for the most part, I think you're watching the only version of that particular moment or delivery that even exists. So do you think that this was almost all edited in camera? For the most part. I mean, definitely there was an edit done, but I think for the most part it, it was shot with that in mind that, you know, they were going to end up at the end of every day with like all of the pieces back to back, essentially how it was going to be slotted together. Everything that goes into it, it just seems like it was so painstakingly done. And if you were going to do something and be that painstaking about it, how did you end up with this? Well, that's the fascinating thing about this movie, because you have to imagine that the film that we are experiencing is not at all the film that was intended, but it becomes impossible to fully evaluate what the intended film would be, because it's not like it just slightly misses the mark. It almost becomes a different art form than movies even. So it's fascinating to think about how much time and energy was put into something that couldn't have ended up further away from what the target was. You get where the bullseye was, but you're looking through a kaleidoscope and there are like <laughs> farm animals running around in front of it. I mean, I looked up the term avant-garde just because I, I had to make sure that I had the right understanding of it because I kept seeing mention of like, oh, it was an avant-garde horror film. It's like, really? I guess so, because um, it's new and unusual or experimental ideas. And it's like, I, I don't really know. I, I think that he was actually calling from all these classic ideas, you know, the spotlight on the victim and, you know, the high contrast black and white with the spotlight. It's just crazy how it was stitched together. Yeah, I, I, it's such a disservice that we can't speak to Ron and find out the whys. You know, I think maybe the best way to describe it would be that it's uh, – accidentally avant-garde it feels like folk art yeah there's it almost reminds me of like uh certain regional art forms that you know have this very specific color and texture of a, a place where it was made except this region or this place doesn't exist in the same dimension that we live in i'm watching it again this morning with my wife and at one point she's like are their faces supposed to be blurred out and I'm like, no, they're just all out of focus. It's not an intentional avant-garde kind of thing, as we're saying. It it was definitely more of an ineptitude-type period where it was just like, yeah. Because for the most part, a lot of things are in focus, but there are a lot of things that aren't in focus as well. I think anything in the film that has a, a sort of stylized quality is mostly accidental. I don't think the intention was to make any kind of art film. I think in the mind of Ron Switzer, this was going to be a very broadly entertaining, accessible, populist sort of genre film, something to rent at the video store and have fun with friends. I think he had very commercial ambitions. And through a bizarre sequence of events, we've ended up with this thing that plays more like a kind of avant-garde art film. But I mean, I think anything that's inept or out of focus is uh, purely uh, a virtue of how inexperienced the people making it were. Yeah, this totally feels like a high school project. Let's get together on the weekend. The time period that you brought up, Angela, does seem right as far as, hey, it's Saturday morning, let's start this movie, or maybe even Friday evening, let's start this after school. And I don't know the ages of the people that were involved, but this just definitely feels to me like stuff that I've seen from high schoolers. But I will say that 
even just a few years after that, something like the Tennis Ball of Killings 3 or the Fear Leaders or these kind of things, they look like Lawrence of Arabia compared to this thing. I'm just so amazed that it ever got into video stores and that we're able to see it all these years later. And I'm very, very thankful that we can, because otherwise, you know, this would have been lost to the sands of time. You know, I wonder about it getting into video stores if what actually happened was someone started watching the movie just to kind of test it out. And then they get to the hallway scene while the girls are working out and they just gave up and they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm sure he's going to kill them eventually. Passed it through the green light just so he didn't have to finish watching. So I, I think we're fortuitous to be able to watch it just because somebody gave up. Yeah, I think that's as plausible as any other scenario that could have occurred. Yeah, that hallway, that gets a lot of use. For listeners at home, I mean, we see the fiend kind of shuffling along this hallway. It almost feels like for half of the movie, like wherever he is going, he seems to always be taking the same hallway to get there. And when he arrives, people... They won't even necessarily scream or anything. They'll just kind of stand there, and then we don't even see too many attacks, but then we know the next thing is that they're dead. So it's just this kind of weird, like, Kuleshov effect kind of thing where we see the person, we see the fiend moving in a direction, we see another scene of action, and then eventually we see the person who's quote-unquote dead, and we kind of have to force ourselves to realize what has happened in the interim that there has been an attack and that this person has not survived but so much of that stuff is left up to the audience to kind of infer all of the action that takes place in the film well i love that so much of it is exactly that that you have to fill in the spaces you know and yet it's counterbalanced by things that are so painfully obvious like the phone ringing Someone isn't going to answer the phone. Usually, you know, a director will show one or two rings, you know, stay on the phone for two seconds. But this is like a full minute of a phone ring. (laughs) And it's just an odd balance of what you fill in and what you don't. I have a theory about some of that, which, you know, is not confirmed, but... I sort of suspect the reason some of that is there is because, you know, they would start rolling the camera at a certain point, you know, the scene would begin and then ordinarily you would cut, but there's always a little bit of time before action cut where the camera is rolling. And because they came in so far short of a normal running time that they just left everything in, you know, full and unexpurgated. So instead of trimming the heads and tails of the scenes, they just used all of the exposed footage they had. I am still so shocked you know, watching those extras, and as soon as they reveal that this was shot on 16mm, I'm just like, you have got to be kidding me, because this just looks so video, and I am guess because I'm seeing it 16 to VHS to DVD, and that interim step of going to v- VHS just muddied everything, I can't imagine seeing a, <laughs> a crisp... <laughs> 16 millimeter print of this anyplace because it just looks so bad and then just all of the editing itself itself just seems like it is done post especially all that sound mixing that we're talking about i mean because there are large portions of this film where there's nothing on the soundtrack and you can almost hear it click on when somebody's about to speak and you hear that hiss of the room and everything and just oh man it was just 
driving me nuts, but at the same time, I was loving it because it was really taking me back to like old school, you know, tape to tape edit kind of stuff. I was like, thank God they didn't break the control track. Well, I was just reading something about, you know, paper fanzines making a comeback. And it, it kind of feels like that. It feels like a paper fanzine photocopied movie. And and that's awesome, except, it, like you said, you know, it has that high school feel to it. So it's one that was written by high schoolers, but you can't put it down. And I, I think that is the charm of this film, is that science crazed, it, it might do strange things and it might have questionable decisions throughout it, yet it is absolutely riveting. Yeah, I've been definitely bearing the lead here because I will say that I absolutely loved watching this movie the first time through i was just like "Mm, i can see the appeal of this and when i watched it a second time i was hooked especially when the music comes up and the music the fiend's theme as it were just over and over and over again just something about that really tickled me as soon as i heard the opening strains of that the first time he's coming down the hallway I just burst out laughing and I was like, I know what I'm in for. Cause the first time I didn't know what I was in for. I had no idea what this movie was going to be, what it was about any of that stuff. So the second time through, I was like, yes. And it was one of those where I was just like, I really want more people to see this movie. I want to turn on as many people to this film as I possibly can, because this just needs to be seen by more folks. So this is your gospel then Mike. I mean, one of the aims of this show is to turn on people to movies they might not have seen. I never would have heard of Science Craze had it not been for its recent DVD release. And now it's just like, yes, everybody must see this film. What you're describing is exactly how I felt when I saw this a few years ago. I've been really obsessed with this movie for several years now, and it's because of that feeling. And what it is, I think, is the uniqueness of it ultimately is what is such a triumph about this movie. Because, you know, I watch a lot of different kinds of movies, and I, I may have said something along these lines on the podcast before, Mike, but great movies are usually the accumulation of a series of good choices. And bad movies are often the accumulation of a series of, you know, bad choices. But there's this rare kind of type of movie, and Science Craze is the best example, that it almost transcends good or bad because everything is a series of unique choices. So whether they work or don't work, it doesn't feel like anything you've seen before because you can't imagine why anybody would ever have done it this way. So every scene is fascinating even when nothing is happening because it's so different from what you would ever expect to see when you press play on a movie. Let's talk about the city scene where we have the I can't remember what her position is, but she wants to perform some tests in different cities. I couldn't get over this. I was just so amazed that this scene goes on for so long, and it's just a woman saying names of cities for, it felt like 12 minutes. I don't think it was that long, but it felt that way. I was on the floor again the first time i watched it i was just like what the hell and the second time as she's getting ready to say the next one and i'm just sitting on the edge of my seat like in anticipation just waiting for her to say another city and i keep thinking is she gonna screw up and say a state the the spaces it's like you almost get punch drunk filling up the spaces, (laughs) and that that was so perfect i mean this woman just 
and we're assuming that it's a school like the Institute. So it must be like a college. And it, it makes no earthly sense for this woman to be testing nerve gas in cities. Yet there she is. And, and it just it's so perfectly fitting for the whole film. She has to just think so hard about what that next city is that she's going to say. <laughs> well, I think the thing that is most fascinating about that scene is that not only is it 10 times longer than it needs to be, it's a scene that doesn't need to be included at all. So it's basically if you took something that doesn't even belong in a movie and then stretch that out, you know, to the nth degree, it's such an absurd thing to be watching in a movie. It's just this endless scene of somebody reciting something that doesn't further the plot and never connects to anything else in the film. It's a complete non sequitur that drags on interminably. It's so Terrence Malick. This whole movie is so Terrence Malick. I was waiting for dinosaurs to show up. It's true. Well, like the machete shows up out of nowhere. Like, what are they in a parking garage? And then he suddenly walks over with a machete. And I mean, there are just incongruous things, the lighting, the, the voiceover, it almost seems like sometimes some of the characters have accents and other times they don't, or they're very intense and, you know, low voice. And, and then they're just casually, you know, casual sounding. It's just so laissez-faire yet diligently done. There are times where it really sounds like it's just the audio that was recorded on the camera. That, and then mixing that with the audio that was done in post so it's like every once in a while you hear a word that just sounds like it was spoken normally and then all of a sudden it's like really intense voiceover coming up this is a thought that occurred to me just now so bear with me i'm not sure if this is going to make sense but you know in a lot of films where something is not quite as it seems you know there's something sort of secretive going on or there's something slightly surreal that will start to happen there's a moment where an otherwise normal conversation takes a turn and starts to either break down or go in a new direction that tips you off that all of a sudden this is about to go somewhere weird it sort of feels like this is an entire movie that exists just in that middle part of those conversations like the entire movie takes place in that space where it's about to shift gears to something else. That seems exactly right. It's like hitting your head and seeing your whole life flash before you and then waking up fully and realizing it's only been two seconds, yet there's yes. three hours of tape. It's that missing tape from contact. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead, take a break, and play a few words from our sponsors here, and we'll be back with more talk about Science Crazed. Let me ask you a question. Are you getting enough? I bet you'd love more, right? Well, AdamandEve.com wants to give you more with 10 free gifts. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, a specially selected toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. So what do you have to do to get your 10 free gifts? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BOOTH at checkout, and you'll get all 10 free gifts. Go check out adamandeve.com today 
select one item, and get 10 free gifts, including free shipping, when you enter offer code BOOTH. That's B-O-O-T-H at adamandeve.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Forgotten Flicks. I'm Joel, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Jason. The whole point of the Forgotten Flicks podcast, the idea behind it, was that we wanted to create something, a mouthpiece for fans of movies from the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, the movies that we all grew up with. This was one of the worst movies I've seen in a long You are full of crap. Are you being serious? I will never, ever see him as anything else but uh, Edgar the cockroach guy from Men in Black. Full Metal Jacket. I love his His playing that Edgar role in Men in Black was hilarious. <laughs> Who do you think you are all of a sudden? I can't believe you hate this movie. Everything is so contrived. Painfully. So I'm just going to read through my notes. And whether you remember the movies or you forgot about them or maybe you never even heard of the movies we're talking about, the point is that we're all keeping the memories of the movies we love alive. Find us on iTunes or ForgottenFlicks.com. Hey, hello. A little bit of introduction. We are the Film Room Cast. I am Albert Wiltfong. I am Austin Shin. And we talk about movies. We just we talk about anything we like to our heart's content. We talk about everything from the very best films ever made to the very worst. <laughs> and we have scraped the bottom of the barrel on the worst ones. It's it's not what you'd expect either. No, no, no. We are the uh, kind of cast for which Birdemic is a step above some of the stuff we've covered. I hesitate to say this, but the room is a little bit higher than some of the stuff we've covered. But on the other hand, we've also covered stuff like The Godfather, Magnolia. We've covered the very best cinema has to offer, the very worst, so don't try to pigeonhole us. And of course, we like to talk about the hot-button topics. We try not to get too political, but we take a political stance. We're people, we have to. We have... A huge backlog. We've been running for about three years. We've got casts on the MPAA. We've got stuff on, like, adaptations. We've got stuff on movies that have been turned into TV shows. A couple of nostalgia retrospectives looking at things like movie theaters and video stores. Proud of those ones. And we've even got at least one cast on a movie that doesn't exist, so... <laughs> got that. Oh yeah, with uh, with more to come. So that's us. That's us. Uh, so yeah, listen to the film room. I have to credit the backtrack. It is from John Carpenter's album Lost Themes. I suggest picking up that album. It's a really great album. But yeah, you can find us at thefilmroom.podbean.com or on iTunes if you prefer to subscribe there. We're out there. Yeah, thank you all. Hope you listen to us and good night. All right. This is Adam Spiegelman, the host of my second favorite movie podcast called Proudly Resents at ProudlyResents.com. And you are listening to my favorite, the number one, The Projection Booth. Mike put so much work into it. If you listen to my show, I put no work into it. Enjoy the rest of the show, you lucky son of a gun. All right, we are back and we are talking about Science Crazed. Now, Josh... You have seen this movie probably the most out of all of us, and you also saw it the earliest out of all of us. So tell me about that first experience. How were you exposed to this uh, this virus, as it were? It all 
ultimately goes back to uh, Jonathan Culp, who is uh, a, a fine student of uh, Bizarre Movies, who is based in Canada, and was collaborating fairly often with Paul Korup, who runs a website called Canuxploitation, which is all about Canadian exploitation films, a lot of sort of lost and buried kind of films. And Jonathan discovered a videotape of Science Crazed, watched it, pitched it to Paul that he should write about it for the site. Paul watched it as well. Eventually, a review got published on the site. Now, I, I hadn't read it at that point. I wasn't aware of it. But uh, several years ago, I was staying in New York with Evan Husney, who at the time uh, worked for Severn Films and was launching this label called Intervision. And they were going to be releasing this Canadian film called Things, which uh, is sort of a cult film, similarly inept, you know, has kind of humor that comes from the way in which it's made. And as part of that, Paul Korup taped a little uh, talking headpiece for the DVD and sent it to Evan. And in that little video interview, which came through while I was visiting, uh, Paul mentions that the only other sort of comparable film to things is this film Science Crazed. And that title just really excited us because there's something very – like it doesn't sound like a title for a movie. It doesn't really sound like any title that anybody would select. You know, There's something about the word crazed that doesn't seem to fit quite right. The syntax is odd. And so a couple of days later, we had tracked it down and watched it. And by the time that first hallway stalking scene happened, I realized that it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And ever since then, I, it's been a real sort of obsession of mine to both share it with new people and to try to uncover facts about it and, and figure out how it came to exist. So how did it go from you experiencing it that way to the actual DVD release? I had been trying to find Ron Switzer, and I had been going through a lot of people to do that, uh, some of which were people that were involved in home video labels. And uh, a friend of mine, Tyler Baptist, is based in Saskatchewan, and he was launching a, a home video label with his partner called Videonomicon. And initially they were going to be releasing just strictly videotape releases – of uh, films, you know, that they enjoyed. And at some point he got hooked up with one of the actors from the film who had basically picked up the rights. So the rights were about to lapse and he didn't want to see them go into other hands. So he picked them up and Tyler made a deal with Cameron, the actor uh, to get the rights and do a new video release. And since I had been trying to do that for years and Tyler knew this, he immediately contacted me about it and asked if I still had some of the stuff I had been working on. Because uh, over the course of a few years, I had shot interviews with some people about the film and had been accumulating different uh, pieces of information. And I recorded a, an audio commentary with Paul Korup when I was in Toronto. And so we kind of worked together and I gave him some of these materials and uh, – when the release came out, you know, he was able to include them as bonus features. But uh, I wasn't directly involved with the deal happening at all. I had just been trying to do a similar deal myself for years and hadn't been able to make it happen. So this was kind of a right place, right time mixed with crazy passion for a insane movie. Absolutely. It's the sort of thing that really shouldn't have happened and somehow has just, I think, because there's a, a very small group of people that are interested in this film, but that small group of people are similarly obsessed with it and have been sort of relentlessly pursuing ways to get it out to a new audience. Now, were you the one that shot the Cameron Klein interview, the uh, I Survived Science Crazed? 
No, I shot the one uh, in his mask shop that's also on there where he kind of explains uh, what he's doing now, creating these masks. And uh, we also shot uh, the interview with Tony Burgess, the author that is on the disc. But uh, the audio interview and the video interview with Cameron are both done by Tyler at Videonomicon. All of these bonus features are fantastic, and they really help... Uh, we talked at, uh, at the beginning as far as needing like a, a viewing guide as you're watching this, and those really helped afterwards. I almost wish I had seen the extras first and then watched the movie because I was just so lost as I was seeing the film, and those extras really helped ground me and really helped for the subsequent viewing that I did. Oh, the, the extras were a godsend because as soon as the end credits hit, you're just like, what? Well, but I need, but why? But the end... Oh, I felt so thankful that there was more or <laughs> an explanation of some sort. Well, the motivation behind you know creating some of those, at least the ones that I was involved with, was ultimately one day I was hoping that the film could be re-released in some capacity. And I knew that if that were going to happen, that a film this out there wasn't going to resonate with people unless they had some help that, you know, it's uh, already going to be for a very limited niche audience. But even within that, this film is so far outside of the realm of what's normal that any kind of uh, context or any kind of uh, guide that could be provided would probably be really necessary and appreciated because I don't know that it's a film that without any of that is easy to appreciate, especially for somebody who's not really obsessed with this type of oddball movie. And there are people obsessed with this type of oddball movie. I know Doug Tilly's a huge fan of this one. Have you run across other major fans of Science Crazed? There are a couple uh, that I have run across. Uh, Doug is certainly one. Um, there's a, a gentleman uh, in Hamilton, Ontario, named Ben Ruffett, who does a screening series there. And he's sort of one of the number one fans of this movie and has been really pushing for it for a while. And then along the way, just... I've shown it to people and kind of done uh, screenings of it at a few different uh, places around the country and have made a few new fans, I think, along the way. But I think the as intense as the passion is, I think the number of people who know about the movie is still relatively small. And I was sad to see that the DVD is limited to a thousand copies, so it's already – going to be kind of obscure just based on the small run but then it, again you know i know physical media isn't as necessarily as popular as it once was yeah and you know i think if it were to sell out or be incredibly successful they would probably consider doing another pressing uh i'm excited it just recently got added to vinegar syndrome's streaming service exploitation.tv and uh i'm optimistic that people will find it there because you know they're they're logged in. They're already looking for something. It's not going to cost them any additional money to do it. I'm hopeful that a lot of people are going to discover it that way. I really hope they do because it seems like a film so rife for the midnight movie or just a group experience. I mean, I want to put on Spock ears and gauze around my head and go enjoy it with people. Well, I hope that happens. And if it does, please take photographs because – yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> Myself, I, I would rather be McCoy, you know, and just have the uh, the trench coat and the the hat and everything. I almost expected to say like press on the side of the hat, but you know, or PI, I suppose, would be better. And running the gun all over your face for no apparent reason. Right? Felt very uh, playing knife from outer space. Uh, yeah, you know, the one guy scratching his head with the gun. <laughs> <laughs> 
did you find out anything about the guy who wrote the music or the band or whoever it is that provided us with this wonderful score? No, it, it seems to be one person, but I did try to sort of find more information and couldn't. Uh, there are a few people that I could never track down. Also, the actor who plays The Fiend, I think I did find him, but when I contacted him, he claimed not to be the person. But I'm <laughs> almost 100% certain it actually was him, but you know, I couldn't force the truth out of him. But uh, other than that, you know, I, the couple of the cast members I've talked to, uh, the DP I was able to contact and speak with. But, you know, not that many people worked on the film. And, of course, the big ones are Ron and Donna Switzer, and I have no idea how to reach them. Now, was Donna in the movie itself or Ron? Ron is Dr. Frank, and I think Donna is in the film, but I'm not sure specifically as who. I think they both might have some voices in the film that they dubbed in for people that didn't come back to record dialogue later. Well, there's definitely a lot of women in the pool scene. So you never know with that. And then, of course, our our, uh, ballet-slash-workout people that are uh, in that long, long scene. Yeah, nine minutes of a killer approaching his prey. (laughs) And those gratuitous shots, I I had to change it from singular to plural there, of that woman's bottom as she's (laughs) doing her workout. Well, you know, I thought there was actually something brilliant there because as it's zooming in on her, what are they like leather briefs that she's wearing, leather workout briefs, let's say, there there's a glare on them from the light, and I thought we were going to see the monster approaching through the glare on her leather underwear, but then it backed off <laughs> and it didn't happen. But I was really excited for a minute. Yeah, well, this whole movie just kind of puts you in that that tense state and i imagine that that's probably one of the reasons why it wasn't so successful when it originally came out was just people couldn't handle that you know like when is that monster going to get there i see him coming i see him walking down that hallway but when's he going to get there i think my favorite aspect of the film has to be the monster's breathing i mean i don't know what animal they dubbed in of growling breathing just um, snarling into the mic. But it's wonderful that you hear this intense, like, (sighs) and then you see the monster just standing there. Like he's not breathing. (laughs) He's not doing anything. I love it. And that one woman who's kind of like trying to, I don't know if she's trying to tame the savage beast, but her just kind of putting her hands on him for a long time. As you hear that growling, snarling going on, I'm just like, Are you crazy, lady? Can't you hear what I'm hearing right now? (laughs) There's a lot about the presentation of the film that is directly contradictory. Um, Sort of uh, like Angela mentioned a moment ago about how you hear this intense sort of growling sound of the fiend. And then when he finally arrives and it shows him, he's just standing there and there's no indication that he's breathing heavily at all. There's a lot of stuff like that in this movie where the setup and the, the payoff don't match and don't seem to to be complementary, but rather seem to contradict one another. And as soon as you finish it, you know, for those reasons, exactly. You just feel compelled to start it all over again. Like, I, I think you could get caught in a never ending loop on this because you, at the end, I really noticed that the monster's t-shirt is all bloody, but there's not a speck of blood on his person other than on the shirt. And then I wondered, you know, is there is blood accumulating throughout the film? Did I miss that? And and there's like a hundred reasons why I have to rewind it and start all over again. It's almost a curse. 
Yeah, it could be like time crimes where there's all this stuff happening that we don't notice the first time. I like to think of it as uh, a new religion. Well, Mike's spreading it, right? Well, because of Josh. So I, I appreciate you bringing this to me because I never would have given a movie called Science Craze a chance. And now I am so glad that I did. I think when future President Trump is sworn into office, this is going to be the only religion that's going to resonate with uh, today's audience. It's like they released those lists a few years after the president has been in office, and it says what all the movies are that they watch during their term. Do you think it'll just be science crazed like 100,000 times? It would make a lot of sense. It would explain a number of things that have happened during his campaign. All right, let's take another break and play a trailer for next week's show. Would you like to confess, Dr. Linden? To what? You'd like me to go with you! Lena, you might get me dead! Oh! Now, I, want I can't to... remember the time with any precision. But I'm not asking you for the precise time. So could it have been half past 12, perhaps? 10, 11, midnight? No. It's just that I can't stand to think of you with anyone else. Tell me! We're alone here. No witnesses. When I'm with you, I'm with you. I love being with you. Well, what does that mean, with me, not with me? Confess between us. Tell me what you dare not don't ever use that word love again, and I promise I won't. Bad timing, a terrifying love story. That's right, we'll be back with a very different sort of movie next week when we discuss Nicholas Rogue's bad timing. Before we go, I want to thank this week's special guest co-host, Josh Johnson and Angela Mack. So Josh, where can people keep up with you these days on all of your various projects? Well, I, I've been sort of under the radar lately. But uh, I would say if you want to follow me on Twitter, which is at IPF Josh, I'll be announcing anything that's in the works there. And how are copies of Rewind This selling? I don't know at this point. I get quarterly statements. Uh, it did sell fairly well. Uh, I would assume at this point it's slowing down considerably. But uh, I do still notice new reviews popping up and new uh, sites selling it. So I, I guess it's doing fine. And if people want to hear more about Rewind This, they can go on back to our VHS extravaganza episodes. I think we actually did two of them because one just wasn't enough. And we talk a lot about Rewind This and some of the other VHS memorabilia type uh, documentaries that were coming out. You, you were starting a trend there, and I hope you are now with Science Craze as well. I hope so as well. And I, even if it's a trend that drives us all to extinction, I'm still proud to be a part of it. Angela, where can people keep up with you? Um, you can keep up with me on Facebook under Angela Mack, and um, hopefully I'll be doing something interesting soon. So they have that to look forward to. We can hope. We can all hope. <laughs> I'm hoping. That we are doing something interesting sometime in the future, because that is where we're going to be spending the rest of our lives. Well, thank you guys for coming back on the show, and thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks especially to our Patreon donors that select group of just a few people who are really trying to spread the word about the projection booth find out more about that and everything else about the show over at our website projection-booth.com 
Thank you guys, and thank you for Science Crazed.
Canada. United States. Italy. Japan. South Korea. Taiwan. Germany. Spain. England. Mexico. Australia. Colombia. Holland, Norway, Enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media. Let's make some noise.